So I'm Tom Kozik from Hilltop Securities. Today we've got another podcast uh, focused on ESG, and we're joined by Nick Samuels from the Public Finance Group at Moody's Investor Service. Uh, thanks for joining us, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Nick is in New York, uh, works at Moody's. He's a senior vice president on Moody's U.S. States rating team. He's been at Moody's since 2006. Uh, he's covered a wide variety of different credits and is currently the lead analyst for the state of Texas, New York City, and the District of Columbia. And most importantly for what we want to talk about today, Nick's been a part of the cross-sector working group at Moody's that's developed the firm's ESG issuer profile scores and ESG credit impact scores. So I was going to ask Nick to start off today by talking about how it is that he and the other folks at Moody's developed those ESG issuer profile scores and the ESG credit impact scores. Sure, thanks, Tom, and thanks again for having me. Um, so we've always incorporated ESG analysis into our ratings, and when we're talking about U.S. public finance, elements of environmental exposure and social exposure, and certainly governance exposures have always been fundamental concepts in our analysis. But more recently, we've created a clearer framework through which we're looking at ESG. So we've had for a couple of years a global methodology that we use to look at ESG risks. But last year, we sort of took that to another level. And I'll talk about our issuer profile scores first. We introduced three distinct E. S and G issuer profile scores. And those are scores that are on a five-point scale that ranges from positive to very highly negative. And they're really meant to describe how much exposure an issuer has to ESG risk. And so far, in addition to all of the sovereign countries that Moody's rates, we've assigned those scores to all of the U.S. states and the U.S. territories. And to cities and counties that have a billion dollars or more of outstanding debt. To develop those, we, we dug pretty deeply into these various categories of risk. So for example, our environmental risk classification looks at, I think the e-risk that most people think about when they think of environmental risk, which is physical and natural climate risk. And Moody's has an affiliate that's called 427 and they do um, climate analytics and they give us this deep analysis of those physical climate risks such as sea level rise, water stress, heat stress, hurricanes, floods. Um, more recently they've, they've been providing us with wildfire risk and they give us those data at a very geographically granular level. Um, and that's only one part of our environmental analysis. We also look at, at other things um, that we consider in our environmental classification, like carbon transition. So in, in, in public finance terms, um, how exposed is a state or local government's economy or its revenue structure um, to the movement away from carbon-based fuel extraction or production, right? Are you Texas that certainly relies on, on oil extraction as a big part of its economy, but also has a lot more economic diversity? Or are you Alaska or West Virginia that have much, much less diverse economies, but are really reliant on extraction? Um, 
We also look at water management policy, what the impacts of waste and pollution are, um, or even natural capital, which is, which is our view of how dependent is a local economy on goods or services derived from nature. So for example, are you Hawaii where, where the very essence of your economy is that you are this beautiful tropical paradise and that attracts people to, to come to you. Um, we also look at data um, like 427s um, and incorporate our, our own qualitative judgments to come up with environmental issuer profile scores on that five point scale. We do the same for our social classification. So for example, we look at um, these social categories that really are bread and butter economic metrics such as demographics, population growth, working age population growth, for example, labor and income metrics like labor force participation or income inequality, um, uh, other metrics like educational attainment, literacy, housing affordability, healthcare access, crime, um, and, and interestingly, access to basic services like water or transportation or something that the pandemic really raised, interestingly, access to broadband. Um, and we use our judgments of those metrics to come up with a social issuer profile score. And then, of course, we look at governance. And that, that obviously is a, a core focus when we look at governments. And it's obviously something um, also already in our state and local government methodologies. But in terms of, of our ESG analysis, we've contextualized governance into four categories. So we're, we're looking at institutional structure and policy credibility and effectiveness and transparency and disclosure and budget management. And so, you know, those are the, the categories that we look at, <coughs> pardon me, in those, those are the categories that we look at in terms of our issuer profile scores, in terms of how exposed is a state or local government to ESG. And so let me let me tell you first, I guess, what we what we found. Um, and we'll I'll start with the issuer profile scores. You know, for states overall, we said that ESG has has a neutral impact for states and for cities and counties overall. Um, but there's some positive and some negative distinctions. So for example, Environmental factors for most states are neutral um, and for local governments, but along the East Coast and the Gulf Coast, where the risk of hurricanes and sea level rise is higher, those exposures are moderately negative. And, you know, there's some locations where um, they're very highly negative or highly negative. Um, social risks, um, similarly, you know, range from positive um, to moderately negative for states, but for counties, um, they're more neutral and positive. So, for example, um, uh, the positives of favorable migration trends or demographic trends um, really benefit some states or cities or counties. And it's really interesting, though, for states, the bigger number of states we found um, social factors um, have uh, a neutral impact. But as a percentage of U.S. population, um, social factors have a moderately negative exposure um, when it comes to states. Governance, I think, is not a surprise. It's really interesting. 39 of the 49 states that we rate, we don't rate Wyoming, um, governance is a positive. And, and we found similar trends for cities, for big cities, and for counties. Um, and then I can talk a little bit about um, credit impact also. 
Um, and the credit impact score, remember, is our view of how much impact did those ESG exposures have on the ratings that we assign. And mm -hmm. overall, again, for, for states and cities and counties, overwhelmingly ESG has a neutral impact. But again, there's a small number, um, like with exposures, where the credit impact is positive or where the credit impact um, is neutral. And you uh, assign a quantitative uh, number to, you know, you look at all of the scores from the E, S, and G sections, and then you come up with the kind of final credit impact score that ranges, correct me if I'm wrong, between a one and a five, is that correct? Right. The, the one is a positive, saying that ESG factors have a positive impact on the rating. Um, a five is a very highly negative, saying that um, if it was not for ESG factors, the rating would be higher, but some aspect of ES and or G pulls the rating down. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at a spreadsheet that is dated uh, as of June 1st of this year. Uh, it was It's uh, titled... ESG credit impact scores and issuer profile scores that includes, correct me if I'm wrong, all of the state local government scores that you've already assigned. Uh, so that is available uh, for those who subscribe. Where else is it that folks would end up seeing uh, these numbers and or the qualitative uh, input and, and qualitative descriptions of how you came up with the uh, these these numbers and uh, the, the rating assignments. Sure. Well, first, I'll, I'll remind listeners that, you know, for several years, we've had an ESG section in our credit opinions where we've talked in terms of pros about our view of the environmental, social, and governance exposures and mitigants of, of a particular issuer. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, now you can go to the moody's.com landing page for any of the u.s states or territories or those large local governments um, who we've already done scores for and you'll find right on on that landing page um, the scores down to the category level and you'll find our narrative write-up that describes our view of those exposures and the credit impact of them and um, over time, as we publish new credit opinions for those issuers, you'll you'll see those scores and that write-up incorporated into those credit opinions. When you went through this process of determining what categories you'd be included, uh, was there anything that was uh, controversial or difficult to really put your finger on? Uh, was that you know how it is? how many categories you're going to include or anything like that. What was the hardest part about this process? Yeah, Tom, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, the, the methodology that we use to look at ESG exposure overall and, and the appendix to that methodology that we use to assign these scores is a global one. So when we were developing the framework to apply um, to states and local governments, it, it is in the framework that we use to apply the, the scoring um, process to regional and local governments globally. So we needed to think about categories and metrics that could apply not just in the US, but around the world. 
And, um, you know, our, our environmental classification, for example, um, applies not just to, to US public finance, but, but applies across all sectors that we rate globally, not just public finance ones, but corporate and financial institutions um, and, and so on. Um, social factors, you know, I think are a little bit more um, uh, commonly found across governments around the world. You know, we have lots of data on governments, certainly, you know, in, in the US at the state and local government le level, um, and around the world, you know, broadly measures of demographics um, um, and labor and income metrics and educational attainment are, are available. And then, of course, when we think about governance, those broad categories, those four broad categories that I described that are the context that we look at governance in, um, you know, we can really think about those in our methodolo methodological context um, when we think about U.S. states or local governments or sub-sovereigns um, or sovereigns around the world. Those themes are really what those governance scores look to. So, um, you know, it, it, I think when we talk about governance, we probably had governments, we probably had an easier time um, than some of our corporate or financial institution colleagues, because each of these individual governments operates in a distinct geographical area, and there's data on that. None of these governments um, operate across, you know, a, they're not multi-jurisdictional in and of themselves. Um, uh, so we could, we could pick categories that we could easily find data for. So those governed, that's a that's an interesting way to look at it. So the way that we should think about it, those, those governments issuer profile scores are not just related to the US state and local governments. Those can also be compared to all of your other uh, credits as well. And so I think that is, and I, am I understanding that right? Is that is that how it is that we should be, be thinking about that? That, that's absolutely right. You know, we've we've already scored the 145, I think, sovereign nations that we have ratings for, and over time we'll roll these scores out in other sectors. You know, so in theory, an investor can look at the ESG scores of a state, for example, and compare those to a Canadian province or an Australian state or some other um, jurisdiction around the world. Um, to try to make an apples to apples comparison about the ESG exposures. Okay. So one of the things, because you uh, cover Texas, one of the things that I was wondering if I could ask about, uh, you know, in that ESG section in your uh, most recent Texas report, it notes, just like you said, that U.S. states overall have a low exposure to environmental risks, uh, but that Texas has an above average exposure to climate risks uh, and especially uh, water stress and hurricanes. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, you know, you're in Texas, not surprisingly, right? It's a state on the Gulf Coast and it is exposed <clears throat> to hurricanes. You know, we are, as we talk um, today, you know, about a month into the 2021 hurricane season. Um, and that exposes Texas in a way that some other states aren't exposed to climate risks. <clears throat> um, about um, a quarter or more of the state's GDP is um, in Houston and Harris County, and um, that is some of the most exposed part of the state to hurricane risk. Um, in addition, right, the state um, uh, spends a lot of time and effort and money 
um, on its water stress, basically <coughs> combating drought, trying to um, uh, finance projects related to water supply, water retention. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the debt that is outstanding in Texas um, is issued through the Texas Water Development Board. Um, and, the, and it is debt um, that the state has issued really since, since um, the end of the 1950s, a decade, all of the decade that the state was in drought um, and was one of the state's early bonding programs. Um, so, you know, a lot of the effort there um, uh, of the state um, is trying to combat, combat drought and encourage the type of strong demographic growth without that without those efforts um, that, uh, you know, the state probably wouldn't have the type of growth that it has. And those are just the physical climate risks of Texas. You know, we talked a little bit earlier that, you know, Texas as a major energy producer um, also has moderately negative carbon transition risk. Um, uh, you know, over time as, as the, the broader economy transitions away from fossil fuel uh, 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 focused um, fuels and production, um, all of the energy producing states um, uh, have more exposure um, than states that don't produce energy. Texas has a much more diverse economy uh, than, than, than the other energy producing states, but it is nonetheless um, an exposure for it. Um, and, and Tom, let me just talk a little bit about some of the social risks because you know, we, we've scored Texas as an S3, moderately negative on environmental factors, but also on social factors. And, and that's a really interesting um, point to make also. Um, you know, obviously Texas has among the strongest demographic growth among the states, um, but it also has some challenges in the social category, right? Which is that the state has above average poverty. And in particular, Texas has the highest percentage of its population without health insurance of all of the states. And that's something that really can drive um, spending as well. Now, mm -hmm. somewhat, somewhat countering those exposures, Texas has very strong governance. It's a AAA rated state. Um, in terms of governance, we've scored it as a G1. Um, but, you know, there are some other efforts, I think, that, that Texas is, is beginning to try to undertake to mitigate some of its, um, uh, in particular, e-risks. And, you know, one thing I'll point to um, is a measure that the governor just signed into law um, uh, a couple of weeks ago to create um, the Gulf Coast Protection District, which is, you know, along the, the Gulf, course, Gulf Coast, pardon me, and um, is uh, a group of cities and counties that will have tax levying power to try to raise the local share of a really big Army Corps of Engineers uh, finance project um, to essentially build um, some walls to try to combat storm surge in the Houston and Galveston area um, uh, from big hurricanes. And like we said, there's a lot of Texas's economy that's focused in that area. Um, this is something that's probably decades away from actually getting done. But it's the, the type of, I think, forward-looking thing that we'll see states with those types of environmental exposures begin to think about. So one of the things that I uh, noticed in this report also is that there's a map 
showing the Texas count, uh, the Texas water stress by county, and this includes data from the organization that you mentioned, 427. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the data that 427 in general, uh, about how what data it is that they that you use that's provided for them, and then a little more specifically about you know for example how it is that we should be thinking about uh, this Texas County water stress map. Sure. Um, so you know 427 is a climate analytics firm. Um, they intake a lot of data um, on the um, six physical climate risk categories that I mentioned, heat stress, water stress, floods, hurricanes, sea level rise, and wildfire, um, and have the ability to um, uh, index that at a very granular geographic level. And you know, then they basically score it, um, essentially rank it, and um, you know, can can give us the the rating analysts um, information on um, how high is that risk on a relative basis. And for example, on that water stress, that drought category um, of of the 254 counties in Texas altogether, um, 158 of those counties are in 427's high risk category. And 45 categories are in what 427 calls its red flag category. Um, so that's a really substantial um, number. It's, just, it's essentially, you know, essentially three quarters of all of, the all of the counties in Texas that are in those two highest categories of risk for drought. And that, uh, and that, the, that 427 data that is what goes into the ESG profile scores. We're not, we're seeing, you know, we're, so we're seeing the results of that data in the scores that uh, the ratings analysts are assigning. Is that correct? That's right. It's helping to inform okay. our analysis of the physical and natural climate risk uh, category within our broader environmental category. Okay. Okay. And uh, pulling back a second, I'm wondering, from a ratings action perspective, uh, in recent months or years, what have been the more high-profile ratings upgrades and downgrades for the uh, for Moody's and public finance that you can point to that our listeners should be aware of, and or help maybe inform them of what could be uh, coming uh, in the near term. Yeah, that is also a really interesting question, Tom, um, because we, we published a report several months ago and found that that for the public sector globally, so not just U.S. public finance, but globally in the public sector, half of all of our rating actions were based on some sort of uh, material credit issue that was ESG focused. And you know, not surprisingly, in in the public sector, um, that mostly focused on G on on governance. And and I'll give you um, an example of of a credit that that I was the lead analyst for um, last October October 2020, when we downgraded the city of New York from AA1 to AA2. 
um, we cited ESG as a material credit factor. And that really focused on the uh, fiscal impact of the coronavirus pandemic and our view that um, the city at that time hadn't really taken sufficient um, uh, action to, to uh, balance the budget compared to um, what the financial situation was at the time, that the city was um, waiting for a federal aid package that at that point had not yet been passed. It obviously subsequently has. Um, and was, a, was a, again, a factor in our revising the city's outlook to stable much more recently. But that downgrade really was based on um, our view of a governance challenge at the time. So this is all, I mean, this is, this is uh, not only in the past, but this is very immediate. And then these are things that uh, are going to continue to flow through uh, not just the scores that you're assigning, but to the final uh, ratings and ratings actions, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, you know, uh, governance analysis for governments is fundamental. Um, and a lot of the factors that we look at in the in the context of social are very fundamental. Um, and, um, you know, for for most of the pandemic in our various rating reports, um, we were saying that we view the pandemic as a social issue within the context of our ESG methodology and um, you know, that it was having a broad impact on the sector. It didn't necessarily have an impact on every single credit or rating, um, but was a social issue, very much a fundamental part of our analysis um, of you know, the last 16 months, basically. We'll see what happens when uh, the economy continues to open up and state, state local governments and other areas continue to open up. Nick, thank you very much for joining us today to talk about ESG, Texas, New York, and, and everything else, ESG and public finance. Thank, again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for listening to Hilltop Talks, a Hilltop Securities podcast where we navigate the impact of politics and finance on the financial markets. For those interested, you can view our Hilltop Securities economic and municipal commentary by visiting hilltopsecurities.com backslash municipal dash commentary and hilltopsecurities.com backslash economic dash commentary. You can also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again, everyone, for subscribing, tuning in, and participating. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future on topics that intersect both the world of politics and finance. This has been Tom Koslick at Hilltop Securities. This communication is intended for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice, nor is it an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any investment or other specific product or service. Financial transactions may be dependent upon many factors such as, but not limited to, interest rates, tax rates, supply and change in laws, rules and regulations, as well as changes in credit quality and rating agency considerations. The effect of such 
changes in such assumptions may be material and could affect the projected results. Any outcome or result Hilltop Securities or any of its employees may have achieved on behalf of our clients in previous matters does not necessarily indicate similar results can be obtained in the future for current or potential clients. Hilltop Securities makes no claim the use of this communication will assure a successful outcome. For additional information, comments, or questions, please contact Hilltop Securities, Inc. Hilltop Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hilltop Holdings, New York Stock Exchange, ticker symbol HTH. Hilltop Securities is located at 717 North Harwood Street, Dallas, Texas, 75201. Phone number 833-4-HILLTOP, H-I-L-L-T-O-P, and is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities Investor Protection Corporation.